This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, your presence here with us this morning. We we love you to be here and and to uh, speak to each one of us through your spirit now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're gonna cover five verses now, the beginning of chapter 22 of Matthew, and if you turn to that, Matthew 22, one through five, it's gonna be where we're gonna be, Matthew 22, one through five. So, okay, follow along here as I read Matthew 22, here we go. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. Okay, now this chapter starts off by telling us in verse one that Jesus answered and spake unto them. So he's giving an answer, it's an answer. Normally an answer is something to what that's said, but wait a minute, now we look at this thing and we find the last verses of chapter 21, the one before, they didn't say anything. The last person to speak was Christ. He was the last one to speak in uh, chapter 21, verse 44, 21, 44, where he said, whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. That was the last audible words that were heard. He just said that he was the stone, that very special stone. He said he was a very special stone because the builders had rejected him as a stone in the building of the Jewish people. 
just like the Israeli government. I told you, just like they rejected me and denied my right as a Jew from becoming an Israeli citizen simply because I believe that Jesus Christ, as they put it, was God or the Son of God. And he stated that he's a very special stone because the builders singled him out as a Jew and rejected him. But Christ also said that he was a very special stone because even though rejected by the builders of the Jewish people, yet he was chosen by God, not just to be another Jewish stone in the building of the Jewish people, but that he was gonna be the chief cornerstone of the Jewish people. And the cornerstone in a building is the most important stone in the building because every stone in that building is set in line to be with that chief cornerstone. So God chose Christ to be the chief cornerstone, which means that Christ is the king of the Jews. That means that God has commanded that all Jews bow down and worship him, or as he stated in Psalm 2, that they all kiss the son. Psalm 2, verse 6, Psalm 2, verse 6, yet, God said, have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion? Psalm 2, verse 12, Psalm 2, verse 12, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So after Christ had said this, that he was the stone that the builders rejected, that he was the stone that God chose to be the chief cornerstone, then Christ said that as a judgment that the building would be taken away from the builders and that he as a special stone would either break a person who falls on him or the special stone, that he would roll on a person and grind that person to powder. That's verse 44, chapter 21, 21, 44. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, on whomsoever it shall fall it shall grind him to powder. And how does that happen? Well, a person falls on Christ as a special stone when he bows to Christ as a sinner in repentance, begs Christ for mercy, forgiveness, and that person is then saved by Christ. They fall on Christ as a sinner and repent for sin. That's what happens. These are the last words that were spoken by Christ when he said, who did not repent of their sins, the chief priests and the Pharisees, and fall on Christ, that he is a special stone. Gonna grind him to powder. Grind him to powder. Last words. Heard, spoken, the air is silent from that point on, and the conscious, consciences of every hardened sinner just reverberates in their mind. Grind him to powder, grind him to powder. Now that's the last words in chapter 21. Now we come to chapter 22 and it says, and Jesus answered and spake unto them. How could he answer? How could he answer when they didn't say a word? But they didn't say an audible word but they did speak words. And the words that they spoke were not spoken with their voices, but what they spoke was loud and clear, but it wasn't with their mouths. It was their thoughts that spoke. That was in verse 46, chapter 21, verse 46, Matthew 21, 46. When they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. They thought, and that's what he heard, they thought to grab him. They thought to destroy him. Those were the words that he heard, the thoughts, and that's what he's answering in the first verse of 22. And Jesus answered and spake unto them. This one word 
in verse one there, answered, it means that he answers thoughts, answers unspoken words. It's amazing to us that one word answered in verse one means that he answers thoughts. Isn't that something? That Christ answers thoughts? That's what that word answered means in verse one. And it speaks volumes to us because this one word answered in verse one means that he answers our thoughts. That one word answered in verse one teaches us that Christ is in the business of answering our thoughts. That's the importance of that word answered in verse one. It's so important. It teaches us how to have a life that wins. A life that wins is a life that has a trained ear to hear Christ's unspoken answers to our unspoken thoughts. And where do we hear that? Where do we hear Christ's unspoken answers to our thoughts? We get it right here. This is it. This book, the Bible. The Bible contains millions of Christ's answers to thoughts. And then Christ takes out of those millions and he selects just the perfect response to our thoughts. We have an unspoken thought. We're just, it's a thought, a fear of the future, a thought, what's gonna happen to me in the future? And then Christ selects the right answer. It might be Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. We've got an unspoken thought. We're, we're afraid uh, that we're gonna have to speak. We think we're gonna be challenged. We don't know what we're gonna say. And Christ then takes of these millions of answers in the Bible. He'll take maybe Luke 12, 11. Luke 12, 11, taking no thought. How or what you shall answer or what you shall say. The Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what you ought to say. We may have an unspoken thought just inside. We haven't talked about it to anybody, but we're afraid of dying. We have a fear of death. And then he selects out of this myriad of responses. Maybe John eleven twenty five. 25. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said unto her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Maybe we're wondering about abortion and the issue of it all, and, and it's a thought. And maybe he would choose Isaiah 13, 18, Isaiah 13, 18, they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. We have these unspoken thoughts and Christ answers those thoughts through the Bible and that's why our prayer should be when we open the Bible, we should pray the prayer of a little boy who is recorded in 1 Samuel 3.10. It was Samuel. And he says, and the Lord came and stood and called us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel answered, speak for thy servant heareth. As a matter of fact, the name Samuel is very interesting because it's made up of two Hebrew words, Shema and El. That's the word Samuel. In other words, Samuel, Shema, hear, El, God. So Samuel means, can mean, hearing God hearing God, and that's what we should all master in life, is this art of hearing the unspoken answers of God to our thoughts. Would to God that we all have the name Samuel, we should all have that name Samuel, hearing God. You know, there in the Bible there are over three quarters of a million single words in the Bible. 
And if you take the combination of words, the verses, etc., God has millions of answers in the Bible. I think of the Bible like the human genome, a DNA, our DNA has millions of responses. You go to the store and you say, oh, Yoplait, that's good. I want to eat that Yoplait. That yogurt looks good. We eat a yogurt. And then there's the need to digest that yogurt. So our DNA answers that need by causing more lactase to be secreted. And then the yogurt brings in a bolus of calcium into the bloodstream, which can immediately, if not checked, interfere with the electrical impulses of the heart, cause an instant heart attack. And that creates a need for the body to lower calcium, avoid instant heart attack. So our DNA answers that need by sending a hormone to our kidneys that caused the calcium receptor, just, just discovered in the last four decades, Brigham Women's University at Harvard, is a calcium receptor to instantly grab that calcium out of the blood and push it into the urine. And then in addition, our DNA further answers the need to reduce calcium by causing the parathyroid glands to reduce instantly the secretion of parathyroid hormone, causing the calcium to go into the great calcium bank in the body, which is the bones. All this happens when you eat a yogurt and you thought the Yoplait just tasted good. But all those biochemical responses happen when you just eat a yogurt as the yogurt creates needs in the body that the DNA answers with specific responses. Just like we all have thoughts that are our needs and Christ uses the Bible like DNA to generate answers to our thoughts. Just as in verse one, Christ answered the need of the thoughts of these chief priests and these Pharisees, so Christ answers the need of our thoughts through the Bible. Now, he speaks to them now by another parable. With this parable, it's got crystal clear simplicity, and it's like a laser-pointed precision. It's like a heat-sensing missile that goes right to the ears of the chief priests and the Pharisees, says in chapter 21, verse 45, chapter 21, verse 45, last chapter, the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables. That means that that missile went right to them and they got it. It came to them with all the color, all the sounds, all the tastes, all the excitement of being at a marriage. Great thing, oh, the marriage. I've gone to a couple Hasidic marriages and they're really something with all the sounds and the tastes and the excitement. Uh, this is what he's kind of playing on here. And so he's answering the thoughts of the chief priests and the Pharisees with this parable. They thought to grab Christ to destroy him. And Christ now answers their thoughts with this parable. His answer is a parable. To understand this parable, as in all parables, it's all about the words, the words. The words are so important. Certain key words, words that are just, they're bursting with meaning. Certain words, they're pregnant. These words, well, I've been watching the whole war in the Ukraine and looking at all of the, the armor-piercing missiles that have been fired. In a, well, these, these parables have got armor piercing missiles that break through the hard armor of a hard heart. And so the first word we see here in this parable is the word certain. There was a certain king 
That means there was a king like no other king. This king is unique. First of all, he's a king, which means that he has all the power of a king. He has the right of the king. He's a king that rules. He's a king, and this king represents God the Father. Represents God the Father, who's altogether powerful, and he is called by Christ in verse two, verse two, a certain king. And what a certain king God the Father is. This king is certain because in the parable here, he's got a desire for there to be a marriage for his son. This king is certain because of what he has planned and what he has prepared for this great wedding of his son. This king is certain because of who he has first invited to the wedding of his son. This king is certain because of who he has secondarily invited to the wedding of his son. This king is certain because of his persistence to get the first people to come to the son. This king is certain because of the message that he sent out to all those invited to to the wedding of his son. He's certain because of the response that he had to those who refused to come to the wedding of his son and he's certain because of the extent that he went to in order to have people finally come to the wedding of his son. He's certain because of afterward his investigative role he took at the wedding of his son. It's a certain king, it's an unusual king, a king that we're surprised to see and to learn so much about, and that's how we feel about God the Father. We learn in the Bible about how much God the Father loves man just from that simple, well-known verse in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth into him should not perish but have everlasting life. We just stand back in amazement. I mean, we look at something like that and we say, really? And you know, borrow a little bit from Judy Collins' song, you know, and both sides now, and we could say something like, I've looked at God from both sides now from up and down, and still somehow it's his great love that I recall. I really don't know God at all. That's what we have to say. Because God the Father in verse two is such a certain king that for all eternity we're gonna be peering into, probing into, trying to find out exactly what was the motivation of his great love. How could he do it? How could he give his only begotten son to bring us out of a state of death into life, as it says in 1 John 4, 9. 1 John 4, 9. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live. Now, the next two words that we focus on in verse two, verse two is, this is a marriage of his son. These two words, his son. God the Father is centered on. God the Father is focused on his son. He delights in his son, Jesus Christ, the eternal Jesus Christ. He spoke about how the Father delighted in him in Proverbs 8.22, Proverbs 8.22, when Christ said, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I was set up from everlasting. From the beginning, or ever the earth was, When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While he as yet had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea, his decree that the water should not pass his commandment when he appointed the foundations of the earth. Then I was by him. 
as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Those words portray the exceptional love that God the Father has toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 8, 38, 30, I was by him, I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. And one day, from the center of that love, God the Father looked at his most precious son and said, I want to widen the circle of our love for each other. I wanna bring into this circle man, forgiven sinful man, cleansed sinful man, redeemed sinful man, and at that moment, Christ responded to God the Father and said, my need is to do your will. I'll go. I'll become sinful man's redemption. I'll become the lamb. And God the Father's focus continues on his son, Jesus Christ, just as this verse talks about. Verse two, verse two, he's making a wedding for his son. And then the next two words penetrate our souls where it says in verse three, verse three, he sent forth his servants to call them. So the king now comes to his servants and the king has a job for his servants to do, a most important job, and the king comes to his choice servants. These are his choice servants because they obey the king. These are his choice servants because they don't just do what the king tells them to do. These servants take into their hearts the feelings of the king. These servants want so well to represent the king that they feel what the king feels. These are the Eliezer type of servants that obey like Eliezer obeyed Abraham when Abraham sent Eliezer to get a wife for his son, Isaac's son. When Eliezer wanted so much to feel Abraham's desire, that Eliezer came to Abraham and he put his hand under Abraham's thigh and the weight of Abraham's body was on his hand. And he remembered all during his mission the feeling of the weight of Abraham's body. Genesis 24, 9, Genesis 24, 9, the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham as master and swear to him concerning that matter. So Eliezer wants to feel all that's in Abraham's heart. So he puts his hand under Abraham so he can feel the weight of the body. And from the feeling of that body, Eliezer says, I adopt your passion, Abraham. I adopt your desire for a wife for Isaac. It's now my passion, it's now my desire. That's the kind of servant that this king calls. And you know the remarkable thing about Eliezer is that this whole chapter 24 of Genesis, Genesis 24, Genesis 24, it's all about Eliezer. It's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. It's got 67 verses. It's all about one man, Eliezer. And you know what's so remarkable about Genesis 24? It's all about Eliezer, and the name Eliezer does not appear once in that chapter, Genesis 24. Not once does his name Eliezer appear, yet it's all about him in Genesis 24. And Eliezer in that chapter is only known, not by his name, but by his title, the servant, the servant. And if you and I are gonna be the Eliezer type of servants of God, our names are just going to disappear. 
And what's gonna be emphasized in our lives is only that we are the servants of Jesus Christ. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God, and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.